Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are scoring, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with the one and only Jeremy Coward. How excited are you guys for this? We're very excited. It's a really great yeah. thing. We also have Rob. I'm here always, always by your side, Gary Martin. And we did manage to get Renee out of bed. Oh, it was <laughs> <laughs> I don't even drink. That was brutal. I know, which, which is the weird part. We're always up earlier than you. I know. Well, I normally go to bed at four in the morning, though. I work till four on, like, photos and stuff, and then I... Yeah, I start my day around 12. Nice. I rotate. So this coming here to Florida, getting up at 6 is savage. It means I really like you guys. And I'm Seriously. super stoked to meet you, Jeremy, because if it's anybody else, I'd be really questioning making it better. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Jeremy, it's been a few weeks since we saw you uh, mm-hmm. down in, in Nashville. So uh, are you still doing the portraits? you want to go through that while you're doing it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. We'll see. I stay as int- I stay interested as long as I keep changing things, and I haven't changed things in a couple of weeks, so I just need to tweak things again. So I'm I'm ADD. So as long as I'm mixing things up, I'll, I'll you, stay curious. You kind of fascinate me as a photographer. We talked a little bit about this down at your place. You look for change and randomness and unpredictability in your photographs when most every photographer is trying for the opposite. Mm-hmm. Every photographer is trying for consistent lighting, consistent results. Mm-hmm. You're deliberately setting up your lights, projection, all kinds of stuff, so you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Why is that? What's that thought process? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm just super curious. I'm, I'm a bit ADD, truly, and I get super, just really bored shooting the same things. Like Peter Hurley is a, a really good friend of mine, and he shoots people every day on a white, you know, same right. lighting, white wall. Uh, and he really goes for the emotion and getting the right expressions out of people, which I admire because I'm not good at that. But... If I were shooting people on a white wall every day, I would just get so bored because it's just not my personality. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I call this a bit of a blender. So I throw people in this blender of light and projection and all kinds of colors and just see what happens. And it's, uh, it's really fun. I, th- I think jobs are always throwing you curveballs, um, which is why a lot of photographers want to be consistent so they can handle those curveballs. You want those curveballs to come. You yeah. like that randomness. Yeah, very much. I think that's cool. I yeah. Make sure your photography is unique. I didn't know what to expect when we walked in your studio, and I that was not something I had imagined. Not at possible. All. What we, did you expect? <laughs> I, I Honestly, maybe more traditional lighting, maybe some sort of like a beauty dish or something, but... Yeah. Walk us through that lighting setup that you had going on. Like, what was that? That was like you were like a mad scientist of lighting. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, it's a mix of a few things. The first, there was a a ring light that I invented. That the plan was to mass release that uh, the ring light, but it turns out it's way too expensive to turn into a commercial product. So sadly, that's the only one of its existence. Uh, it will not be for sale, and uh, that I'm that I'm aware of. And then that, so that ring light is constantly, literally, like, just flashing random colors. So it's like a colored ring light. And then on top of that, I have one projector uh, changing backgrounds all the time, one projector projecting onto people's faces. And then I have uh, four different strobes always changing as well. So 
with all those changing elements, you get a lot of fun surprises. And so I like to see what happens. How long did it take you to come up with that? Was it like a Tuesday night or that, was that like a <laughs> several month it's, experimentation? It's several months. It's combined ideas, you know, because each of those in, in and of themselves are different ideas. So, And now I have more, you know, I just keep – it's nice to leave a setup permanently because as a commercial photographer, I'm used to always like we build a set. You know, for this shoot, we tear it down. The next day, you rebuild your lights for that set, and you tear it down. And so I've never, ever, like, just really built a, uh, a system that I love and just left it in my studio. Because I actually rarely use my studio. I'm usually on location. So you can never really, like, sleep overnight and think about, okay, oh, tomorrow I should, like, tweak this thing and then try that. And then the next day. So it's been nice to have a, an experimental setup just left set up for weeks on end so I can just keep tweaking and keep playing. It's been really good for me to to learn and try new things. And so now I'm actually doing fashion tests with the setup. And then um, this summer I'm going to be shooting a big music festival with a bunch of, you know, A-list artists. And so I'll be able to take everything I've learned and try it in there and do it at this festival. So I'm really excited about that. Is it Bonnaroo? No, it's a new one. I, uh, it's a new one called Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. So Justin Timberlake is the he- headlining act. So I'll be getting to shoot JT oh. with my crazy, weird setup. So that's cool. The other thing that was really interesting was drawing. You were using mm-hmm. the iPad. You were actually drawing on the photographs yeah. as you were taking them. Um, which thanks for letting my daughter do that. By the oh, way, that was course. cool. She yeah. she still talks about that. That's awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about that process because that's really different. Yeah, again, just another another idea, another curiosity. Uh, you know, I had the projector on your face, and so I was like, what if we projected the iPad? And there's an app called Procreate that I'm obsessed with. I'd love to, to create in that app. And so I was like, I'll just draw on your face using the uh, using the Procreate app and the iPad. And so super fun. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Very different. Yeah, and I have yeah, more ideas for that. I want to try, like put a mirror right next to the camera and try drawing a self-portrait like on my face and I have a wireless remote. I can just hit click when I get the Cause you can't, you know, you can barely move cause it's being projected on these. I have to stay real still and it'd be fun to kind of draw self-portrait over myself. So there are lots of things to try still. <laughs> so let's back up. Why did you open your studio to the masses to let, you know, them come in to, to um, cause commercial work can suck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it really can. There's a lot of things that, that, you know, can burn you out on commercial work. First of all, I'm always grateful that clients hire me and that anybody chooses me because any client has, what, hundreds of options to choose from when they choose a photographer. So I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. But at the same time, like with commercial work, I found that um, it's uncanny. It's almost like they go through the shoot and they're like, now, where was the worst image that Jeremy took? (laughs) That's the album cover. That's the one we're going to use. There's always these bad photos that get released. And then it's it's like you're just one person, this huge chain of events. You know, there's um, multiple art directors. There's just a big, big process. And so I just, a lot of times as an artist, I see these things get released with my name on them that I just don't like. I think it sucks. You know, by the time some intern at a college comes in and throws type on it and designs it. And then and they choose the worst photo. And I like, man, I don't, I don't love it. it. was a paycheck. You know, I don't love the final product as an artist. And so, um, this process was a way for me to 
tr- truly do my own thing, do what I want. Oh, and that's the other thing is you can't release the images. Like last year I did seven shoots for a massive A-list artist, and I can't show any of the work, you know, and it's some of the best work I've ever done. And we really, you know, there were big budget shoots and had had all the, you know, all the cool stuff going on. I can't show any of it due to, that's co- frustrating. Due to copyright buyouts and stuff. And so... Yeah, so it's either like I'm showing terrible work or I can't show the work that I love. And so I don't get that. Why why wouldn't they want someone like you with such a huge following to keep promoting them? I have no idea. That's my thought exactly. By any other standards, that would cost someone a lot of money for you to share or post anything. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about a celebrity that already has a huge brand, that has a huge following, that is a big name. So for them, it's control of their brand. I I, I get that. Well, it's also images that are already out in the public space. Literally millions have already seen these images. And all I want to say is like, Hey, I took that, the one that you've seen all over the country, I took that. Why are they prohibiting you from that? I mean, in your portfolio, you, do you not have a clause in your contract that says you can show it for portfolio or do they cross it out? Well, I technically I can. It's just a big, long process to go through their attorneys and lawyers. I'm just like, yeah. screw it. You know, like, forget it. it was, but at the same time, it was a really beautiful, um, I mean, the artist himself is an amazing person, so I have nothing bad to say. It's just the it's just the process behind him yeah, that right. that is annoying. Which so, is lawyers and yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So, um, so yeah, this is a way for me to just do my own thing, release the images when I want to release them, choose the images that get released, do what I want to the images, just full control of the creative process, and also like that it's intimate. It's one on one. It's me and the subject, and that's it. You know, there's no hair and makeup, there's no crew, there's no publicist or manager. It's just super intimate, and uh, that's been really nice. We we talked a little bit about your transition from photography into what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Like, what you got a hotel coming up? That's <laughs> yeah. insane. Yeah, the Purpose Hotel. Yeah, building, trying to build a hotel from scratch, a hotel chain from scratch. So yeah, I had the um, actually was in a meeting much like this about five years ago this summer i was meeting with uh, visco um the the iphone app guys and um we were doing a photo shoot and we met in a hotel room just like we are right now and um i just remember walking down the hallway in the rooms and they it was at the standard in la Mm -hmm. and the room numbers were designed like name tags like old school 80s name tags and uh so our room said hello my name is room 121 and all I thought was like, oh, it's a, you know, cool. They redesigned the room number. Just, I don't know. It just kind of hit me. It's random and kind of clever. And so I got in a meeting. We were doing a photo shoot that day. They were filming uh, me shooting a model for just a little promo video. And I couldn't quit thinking about the room number. And uh, for some reason, I was like, man, what if every room number, like, had a story that you felt attached to, like, that you... You know, felt like the lonely traveler could feel connected to the story. And I thought, what could that story be? And I instantly thought it could be like a lonely child uh, where that room is sponsoring that child. So whether it's $30 a month goes to that specific child, whatever. But the traveler could feel connected to this kid in Peru or wherever around the world. Um, So it started with that, and then instantly I started thinking about, you know, my friend Caitlin Crosby is the founder of The Giving Keys. And I thought, man, it'd be cool if the room keys were connected to The Giving Keys, which employ the homeless. 
And then as I was sitting in my room, I was like, oh my gosh, I know nonprofits that build desks. I know nonprofits that do shampoo and soap. And I know so many humanitarian artists and photographers that could fill the walls with artwork. And, you know, next thing I know, I had this whole idea for a hotel where everything in the building is connected to a cause or a nonprofit. And so by staying at this hotel, you would be simultaneously supporting tons of causes. Um, so I started with that, and then I basically lived in three years of hell no, that's way too scary, fear. <laughs> <laughs> just was so daunted by the idea. Because, you know, I'm just a freelance artist, freelance photographer, and the idea of building a hotel chain is crazy. Um, but then uh, fall of 2015, I told my business manager, I was like, I think I, think I want to do this. I think, I think we should we should go for it. So we launched a Kickstarter last year and raised almost seven hundred grand, and that's enough to get the ball rolling. And now the ball's rolling. So, so how did you come up with the the cost associated with starting a hotel? Because that seems like uh, that would be an impossible question for me. Yeah, I mean it is. Uh, that's where he comes into play. Um, he being my business manager, who's now my partner on the hotel. So we are. Extreme opposites. Uh, I think every creative person who's starting their own business really does need a Michael. Michael's my partner's name. Because for 12 years since the beginning of my career, he has overseen all legal and finance and contracts and anything involving paperwork, anything involving money. Like he is the left side of my right side brain. So um, he completes me. <laughs> uh, uh, but we really are just different in every way, and so that's where he comes into play. And he's done all the, all the numbers and all the breakdowns and figuring out all the contracts. He's he's truly a genius. He's very very smart. What point did you get to where you decided to say I, I can do this instead of I can't? Because I can't has been a big thing for you in your life, but mm -hmm. somehow you've always managed to break through and do something outrageously impo impossible. You've turned around and done it. What point do you think you get to where you just have to say, the hell with it, I can do it, I'm going to make it happen? Yeah, it was. I think it was like there was this other dad on my kid's soccer team. This guy's like multimillionaire, genius, real estate guy. Like he's he's a, a bit of a, an anomaly. He's, he also directs the TV show Nashville. So mm -hmm. he's become a good friend of mine. He just, we were talking, he just really believed in it and was like, dude, I'd invest in two seconds. Like, tell me where to sign, you know? And it was talking through him. I was like, okay, if he believes in it this much and everyone I've ever talked to believes in it, I was like, it's probably time to at least try it and see what happens. And so, yeah, I just started. And then, like, you know, you look out at a city like this. When I fly over New York City, there's thousands of skyscrapers. I'm like, you know, all of those had to start somewhere. somewhere. All those had to start with one person saying, we need to do this. I'm like, if there's millions of buildings around the world like why can't i be one of those people who says you know we should do this and, and especially, i'm sorry go no ahead. no especially with all the causes and the you know the meaning behind what we're doing and the goal is really for this to be a chain this is a hotel that's in tons of cities not just one yeah yeah where absolutely. would the first one be we're trying to build the first one in nashville so yeah. that's the hometown. first yeah hometown just obviously logistically sure. i could drive there every day and be there and uh so yeah nashville first do you guys have a spot picked out uh we have spots in mind that's not that'll all start really finalizing this summer 
what's the next step to getting to construction? Like, what, where are you at right now? Uh, right now, we've hired um, a designer, a uh, really, really talented uh, lady named Kim Lewis. She was on the show Extreme Home Makeover, and she's, uh, she's just amazing. So much energy and so much uh, passion. And um, so, yeah, she's in the design phase, and we're actually going to be building out a very crazy virtual reality presentation of sorts to pitch to investors and um, try to blow their minds with with what we're doing and why we're doing it um so yeah that right now is putting together the presentations so combining design and 3d renderings and architects and to put together something truly truly special do you have any regrets you're like oh shit maybe i should have just stayed as a photographer uh the only regret is i wish i'd pursued it when i had the idea yeah, because Nashville's exploding so much that in that three years that I was telling myself I can't do this, yeah, Nashville real estate was just going, you know, through like the roof. This. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, I wish I, I wish I had started sooner. Man, after our portrait with you, we went out to kind of the stereotypical downtown strip, Nashville, and I was so blown away at how many people there was like ten thousand people at least in the streets. Nashville's I couldn't believe happened. how big it was. Yeah, it's it's insane, and the, I think right now we have the most cranes in the USA. Like, there's just cranes everywhere. It looks like Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. I was a little jealous. I was like, man, St. Louis could be like this. Like, we are not building any buildings whatsoever. I was like, look at. The, I said the exact same thing. Look at the skyline. Look how many buildings they are building. This yeah, is, it's it's nuts. Why do you think that is? Like, what is it about Nashville? I don't know. It's it's in a good spot geographically you know it's kind of between a lot of things um it's just got this this special sweet you know country flavor and it's always been entertainment driven and i don't know people are like when i moved back from la to nashville there's just this sense of like ah like i can relax and i can chill out because la i actually loved la but there's just a lot of you just feel the the, it's a different pace. The stress. You yeah. feel the comparison to everybody. You feel this need to like, oh, I gotta be cooler. I gotta have a better car. I gotta have more money. I gotta, you know, Nashville. It's just like yeah. you can relax. Literally, so, everyone has a nicer car than you in that and, and Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> literally everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard a, a lot of even celebrities overhearing celebrities in interviews say the same thing. Like, there's just something about when you get to Nashville, you can just kind of lay back. Yeah, it's very calm. The Purpose Hotel is, is far from your first philanthropic adventure. I mean, you've done a lot with charity and, and trying to help others. Um, and I want to talk about, about Haiti because it's pretty fascinating. You also wound up with a couple kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about that adventure. Yeah, I um, yeah, first went to Haiti after the earthquake. Just wanted to do something to respond. And uh, it was all over Twitter back in those days. And um, just use Twitter to find a way to Haiti, uh, you know, just using Twitter connections because I didn't know how to get down there. Yeah, how difficult was it to get into this place that had literally been rocked? Uh, um, dangerous place at, at this point. How do you get there? It was very hard. Yeah, I just kept tweeting and had a decent following at that time. And a lot of people followed me for those types of things, stories, you know, uh, philanthropic stuff. And so, I don't know, just... Um, Oh, I know, I know how. There was a guy in, that lived in Haiti that followed me, and um, he was the first in Haiti to tweet about the earthquake. He's a very tech-savvy friend, and um, he uh, he reached out and said, hey, you can stay at my place. Our house wasn't affected, and 
I can be your translator. I can drive you all over the place. So he became, we became instant BFFs when we still keep up today. And, um, and so then I had to find a flight down there, you know, cause the airport was basically non-existent. I mean, it was, but it's just very hard cause there's so many, uh, aid, you know, type planes flying in, flying into Haiti into Port-au-Prince. Anyway, I ended up getting down there and, um, so that was like my first exposure to Haiti. We did a project over 10 days just interviewing people and photographing holding found rubble and letting them write, handwrite, like basically tweets, like what would you say right now about this earthquake to the world? Because the media was just saying, look at all the people that died. Look at all the buildings that fell. It wasn't very personable. So I wanted to tell that, the personal side of the story. And so really got involved in Haiti through that and then uh, – Visited a few times for different projects after that. And then uh, my wife and I had always wanted to adopt, but it just, a lot of things aligned and we realized it was the right time to do it. And so we had no idea what we were getting into, just like <laughs> right now at the hotel, because the adoption process ended up taking three years and fought through a lot of corruption. And in fact, the, the people we were working with who were Americans were the ones who were corrupt. So it wasn't really? Haitian corruption. It was Americans who were corrupt living in Haiti. Um, so we had to, we had to, that's disappointing. Yeah. We had to wage that battle and then, um, got through that and then kids finally came home and that's been almost three years. So had you already met your kids? You were specifically trying to adopt two or, or, or you were, were you just wanting to adopt and it didn't matter who? Yeah. Through the process, we, we got to meet them and, um, Got to know them before they came home. So, yeah, it was it was a wild, wild process. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, the stories are really interesting. I love the fact that you actually even found people having a wedding in the middle of of all that rumble. They were getting yeah, that was that was crazy. That was towards the end of the trip. And keep in mind, there were I mean, there were actually dead bodies still on the ground. laying on the ground as she drove around Haiti. There were still people searching for their loved ones. People walking around that hadn't slept in days. I mean, it was, it was truly a war zone. Like the smells, there were all the lights were out. So there were like fires on every street corner to just kind of give light to the city. So you're smelling death, you're seeing fire, you're seeing all the buildings just destroyed. It looked like a nuclear bomb went off. And so how did that affect you personally? Uh, on those trips, I'm always like in, I'm, you know, got my head down at work mode. I'm, I'm focused. And so it keeps me distracted from emotionally getting too involved or too, to think about it too much. I usually process it after I get home, mm-hmm. but, uh, but still, I mean, it was, it was probably quite stupid for me to be in some of those, uh, situations I was in quite frankly, but cause it, you know, we were hearing at one point I remember hearing gunshots, you know, probably a hundred feet away. Um, from people looting and all that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, to, to, then we hear that, wait, somebody's getting married right now. Are you kidding me? Amongst all this like chaos, utter chaos. And so we literally hopped in the car and just drove around Port-au-Prince, no information. We're just trying to find a wedding. And somehow we accidentally, like we came upon the, I remember we're driving down the street in this wedding party. All these people dressed up were like walking away from the wedding. And so we pulled up, the wedding was over, and we asked them if we could, you know, we told them what we were doing, and asked if we could cheat a portrait, so they did. <clears throat> and their church was leveled. I mean, the church was was on the ground, so they got married in this little patch of grass next to the building. 
and there was literally one little paper plate, you know, left over from all the, all the, I guess, festivities or lack thereof. Um, so if we got that paper plate and just like, what would you say about, you know, what, I, what, what do you want to tell the world right now? And they wrote on that paper plate, love conquers all and Haitian Creole. And it was just this like insane. I mean, it sounds so simple, love conquers all, but for them to say that, during that time with death all around them, with their church destroyed, with their family members that had just been killed for them to still say that was, was really powerful. How do people treat you when they're, when there is chaos and there are dead bodies around and you're just, you're this American kid coming in to do a project where some Mm -hmm. of them standoffish, like get out of here or were they pretty receptive to what you wanted to do? They, they were very, um, get out of here to most photographers because most photographers are just coming in with their cameras, they're not, you know, communicating with the people. They're just walking around shooting, you know, like photojournalists, which, you know, for a photojournalist, I guess that's that's what you do. You're not supposed to be a part of the, the, the story. You're just documenting. Um, but they don't like that. You know, they want you to, to talk to you. And it's just like if somebody walked up in my backyard with a camera and started shooting, I'd be pretty pissed off, you know. But if they talk to me and, like, tell me why they're here, then I might be more you know, receptive to that. And so, um, my, uh, Fredo, my, my translator, he would tell people while we're there, what we're doing. In fact, we would probably spend an hour with each person before we ever took a picture, just chatting and hanging out and asking them how they're doing all that stuff. Then we tell them what we're doing and why we're there. And people were very, very, I think there were a few people that still didn't want to do it, but for the most part, people were super grateful to like, oh, they actually want to like help us amplify our needs and our our desires. And so, yeah, they were they were very receptive to it. That's amazing. So you're still teaching. You're still giving back to the photography community. What's going on with C University? How do we get in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're actually kind of ramping it back up as we speak. Um, yeah, C University is um, is basically my own little small version of what y'all are doing or um i feel it, like it's bigger than what we're doing <laughs> no no well y'all are well, i say that because y'all are you know working with a lot of photographers this is like it's just me it's just my own little and it started after uh really it started after my brother died uh my brother died in 2000 gosh what is it 14 so three years ago and uh, I just thought, man, like if I if I died tomorrow, it would be so cool to like leave behind my knowledge, like not just memories, not just you know, like, but how cool would it be for me to literally document the things I've learned in life? Um, and so it started with that simple thought, and uh, we just started like filming everything. And I've done I've done classes with Creative Live with Kelby, uh, with uh, several different platforms but i have so many more ideas of things to teach i mean really when you break down photography there are a million things that we do day in and day out even down to like how do you set up a mic you know how do you record how do you um in lightroom and photoshop and there's a million things so we just thought it'd be rad to like document everything so even like things like business and fear of failure and marriage work balance how does that work and so just started shooting everything and um, probably filmed now about 170 videos, uh, classes, I guess. And uh, 
built my own little platform called C University. It was actually really influenced by some other Nashville friends. There's a guy named Michael Hyatt. He's a good friend of mine. He has something called Platform University. And my friend Donald Miller has something called Story Brand. So I'm obviously influenced by the photo community, but also influenced by my Nashville friends who aren't in the photo industry, who are just doing similar kind of things. And so combine all that and uh, made my own little online university. I'm sure the passing of your brother, that, that came early. Was this totally unexpected? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was uh, I was flying to WPPI that morning, and he was flying to Hawaii. So we were both at the airport at the same time, and we were texting all morning, you know, just about whatever, because I think he wanted to go to WPPI. He was a photographer, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so we were just chatting back and forth, but he was going to shoot a wedding in Hawaii. He was really excited about it. So uh, there was a big snowstorm that day. And so my flight got out before the storm, and then his got canceled because of the storm. So he ended up going back home. I flew to Vegas, and I was literally on stage at WPPI uh, when I got. Um, I was like on, you know, I walked up on stage. I had my phone, and like I had five minutes before the thing started, and I was like just getting my computer ready. And I got a nine one one text from my sister in law saying. Um, Hey, something's going on with your brother. Uh, he's like unconscious right now, and we're not sure what's going on. And so I thought he, oh, he drank too much last night, he passed out. I didn't think, you know, too much of it. And so, um, I mean, I was obviously worried, but I, I needed to get, you know. So I let the I let the crowd. There were probably five hundred people in the room, and I I let them know that like something's kind of going on with my family. And uh, so then I started the presentation. I was probably twenty minutes into it when my phone kept ringing and I was ignoring it because I was like really, I was like really focused on my presentation and someone in the crowd at WPPI is like interrupted me and they're like, Hey, you should probably answer your phone. If, if there's something going on, I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I need to take this call. And so that was my dad and he called and told me that Mike had passed away and suddenly of a heart attack. And, uh, yeah, we had no idea. And so, uh, so yeah, obviously I was in, it was like a two hour presentation. I was in shock. So I walked off stage. I was done. And that was, you know, Debbie Pete the which MGM, you know, so I was like in this casino, just found out my brother died and it was just in pure total shock and um, couldn't get home because of the storm. The national airport had like shut down. And so uh, I was tweeting like crazy trying to find, you know, spread the word about how, I really needed to get home. And uh, this guy I know uh, chartered chartered a private jet and flew me home that night uh, from Vegas to Nashville. And so, uh, yeah, it was a wild. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So C University is really kind of a response almost to, to passing Mike, so a way to kind of perpetuate him and the knowledge that you both had. Yeah, yeah, very much. And it was just this. I mean, truly, like, what if every human did that? Like, I, I just thought about, like, man, it'd be so rad to, like, watch my grandfather, watch videos of my grandfather when he was in his 30s talking about how he did what he did. Mm -hmm. like, that would be so cool. But one day, that's going to be all of our grandchildren. They're going to be sitting around, like, doing college research papers on us, like, <laughs> watching what we did. Your grandkids will have plenty of information. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. for sure. There's plenty. That's, I think that's the biggest thing I, re well, I can't really regret it, but 
looking back at like, you know, doing research on my grandparents and, and things like that, there's such little information. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And even photos that are in focus. Yeah. It's like, man, I, we've got like 10 photos of my grandpa. It's yeah. like, man, we really take things for granted. Our grandkids are going to be saying, we have way too yeah. much information. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like, enough. They can literally relive our lives. Yeah. You know, like through Facebook. Like, the, oh, they'll like, they'll like, have like, a time places. hop that on this day in yeah. my grandfather's life, he said this, the same age I am, you know. Oh, that's a wild thought. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But we don't know what technology is going to be like then. Like, yeah. how, will all this translate? Will it be yeah. um, easy to access? Because there are plenty of technologies like SideQuest drives and things we can't even access anymore because they don't work. We'll, just, sure. be, we'll just be jars, brains in jars. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is SideQuest? It's an old, it's, um, SideQuest were uh, a way of storing data uh, kind of in the early days of photography. And, and what did it look like? Graphic design. It was a, it was a clear plastic um, case and it had a little drive in it and you put it in this this actual drive in order to store data it was like was it measured in megabytes oh hell yeah it was like eight megabytes was a big deal <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy well but, you know elon musk is already talking about this thing that's gonna you know uh make our brains join with with computers like, like what well, like would be one yeah, yeah i don't think i want that so yeah excited I'd, for that. I'd tap into that you <laughs> wouldn't so so in for that yeah really yeah. No, I don't think I would. I like being a human. I don't want to be embrace the remix, Rob. You're like... already not human. You're part cyborg. You have you have. Well, that's true. I have metal body parts, but exactly. that's yeah. That's like <laughs> cyborg guess... 1.0. All right, that's making me rethink it. Yeah, see, <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Just think, you could fix your memory. Like there would be oh no such God. thing, right? That would help. That, that would, would help. be amazing, that would right? So and they're up. doing laser surgery now with your eyes. So, I mean, yeah, that's all it's just true. like 1.0 cyborg stuff. I'm so in for the brain hookups. Let's do that. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so, Jeremy, how do you have time for all of what you're doing? Like, you, you must have like um, an army of 30 people working for you. It's funny because I do, but I don't. I only have one employee, uh, my assistant, Alexis, who is a complete ninja. She is... Um, you know, you hear all this stuff about millennials. She is the opposite of all those things. She's 20, gosh, I think she's 24, 25, maybe just a super organized production beast. And she, uh, super hard worker. So she is also very left brain and helps me. But then, yeah, my business partner has a, a team of about 10 employees that they all work on. The things that I do, uh, see you and they organize and shoot and produce. And, um, so they have a lot of help from them. Then there's designers I work with. And then obviously on the hotel front that we'll be hiring tons of people. And so the nice thing about that is I don't have full-time that many full-time people all the time. I only tap into that team of that system of people when I need them. So day to day, it's just me and Alexis, my assistant. And, um, so yeah, it ebbs and flows depending on like every day. I literally have a different jo job. In fact, a few weeks ago, every weekday was a different career. You know, one day I was teaching, the next day I was traveling and speaking, the next day I was had a photo shoot, the next day I was in hotel world. So yeah, it's like it's always revolving. But again, I'm super ADD, and I don't say any of that to brag either because I think it can be a really bad thing. I mean, there are times where I'm like, man, I just wish I was like uber-focused photographer. Like, I know y'all have done work with Eric Kalmus. Like, that guy is, like, your case in point, like, master photographer. He's shooting. He's got his, 
you know, he's just doing it. And where I'm like, I'm all over the place. He's, he's also the master of turtlenecks. Yeah, he is the master of he's, turtlenecks. His, his, yeah. sweater, his sweater collection is nuts. Yeah, that's something to be jealous of. For sure. But he also has a bunch of other stuff going on. He's he's doing wines. He's renovating a bunch of houses and kind of flipping those. He's true. You know, as a creative, I think you look for those other outlets. It's hard to, I think when you're creative, it's hard just to do one thing. Like for several years, I had a furniture design company just because you're drawn to doing other things when you're creative. I think it's hard to just have one discipline as an artist. Yeah. You know? And I think today, like I was talking to Joe McNally last night. Y'all know Joe's work, right? Oh, of sure. course. That guy to me is such a legend because just the work he's done, the, 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 the length of a career he's had, it spans decades and the quality of work he's done over that course of time. Just so fascinating. But we were talking last night, both agreeing that like the photo industry is so hard these days to really, make it consistently as a photographer to make a good living. And and to hear Joe echoing everything I've been seeing was really um, confirming. It's just like, okay, if Joe's seeing the same things I'm seeing, that must mean it's true. Because it is. And and that being said, like you, I really do believe you have to diversify. Like you have to have different streams of income. And even if you are like, you know, I can, I could name names right now, guys at the top who are like, freaking killing it but even they will have their there's another thing joe and i talked about last night like they will become cold like everybody it's hot and then you're cold and you're hot again and you're cold and you have to reinvent and um and so i I do think it's important for photographers to really i mean you're really becoming a ceo and you're trying to figure out how do i create multiple streams of income I tell people all the time in lecturing or just conversation about photography, if you really want to be in this business, the first thing you need to do is become really secure with insecurity because yeah. it's just an up For and sure. down ride. There's yeah. no, um, there's no linear path the way you have it if you go to work for some corporation and you're collecting a paycheck from the yep. day. Totally off the charts. Yep. So what advice do you have for photographers just getting into the business if things are changing this quickly? Yeah. I mean, what he says is, is a great – I mean, that insecurity, uh, the fear, those things never go away. Like I tell people, like I'm driving, you know, I'm focused on the road, but I have this little passenger over here named fear and doubt and insecurity, like always mouthing off, trying to get my eyes off the road, trying to make me crash. And I've just learned that he's always going to be there. Like I'm always going to have those those voices. But, um, yeah, you just have to press forward. And, I mean, there's so many things like it say to new photographers like the whole put your 10,000 hours in and then truly learn learn like crazy I always say the more you learn technically the more you can achieve creatively because like right now at the whole you know social media in, in Instagram rock star thing like everybody's shooting natural light everybody's doing lifestyle shoots every day they go to lunch and they're doing lifestyle shoots like and so with everybody doing that like you really do need to learn the more technical stuff like that's why i'm now in the studio with sick you know probably 100 grand in gear because that's something i can do that most people can't do most people don't have all that gear so i'm doing stuff technically that a lot of people just don't have access to so do the things that that make you unique that truly only you can do um because that's how you separate yourself so i mean Instagram, like, I feel like so much of the work out there is just looking like the same thing over and over and over. And so, um, but it's also 
nothing has changed in that. You have to find that thing that distinguishes yourself. You have to find your voice. You have to uh, figure out what it is that that separates you and makes you unique. And that's like the million dollar. And if I could answer that question, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd be a multimillionaire because that's what every every artist really of any kind, musician, dancer, poet, writer, it doesn't matter. Like we all have to figure out how to find our voice. One of the things that's that's so compelling about your work, and I've noticed this from the beginning, uh, the first time I saw anything about you or I started to understand you was uh, the photos of you when your brother passed away. Um, you had the photos taken in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's always been compelling to me is how you tell such incredible stories with images, um, even when you're involved in the images. And so how do you translate that? Like, how do you what kind of a life path allows you to connect like that to be able to deliver these stories? Like with the fires, for example, that was another one that really, really stood out. Uh, it's incredible. Like how did, how? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, you have to use like for the, the when the wildfires struck Gallenberg in December, um, you have to figure out how to use our artistic creativity and our abstract thinking to apply that to uh, hard situations. So like with the Gatlinburg fires, I grew up visiting there. So it kind of feels like a, a home of sorts. Um, but like, man, what could I do that would be just weird and different? Cause I knew that weird and different would get eyeballs. If I'm just another photographer, here's more photos of the fires. Here's more photos of houses that burned down. Like there's a lot of photographers over there shooting that that's not going to get seen. So I was, um, sitting in church and I just ran it like, truly so randomly had the idea of drones and a mattress and I've never worked with drones. I've never had an interest in drones because drones seem like that thing that like, Oh, we should all go fly drones just because we can go fly drones. I'm like, Nope, I could care less about flying a drone unless I need it. Um, but I had, I had this idea that, okay, if a house burns down, it's black and it's charred and it's brown, dark browns and blacks and, so what if I took a stark white mattress and placed it in the middle of these homes or where the bedroom was or where the bed was and had the family owners lay on this mattress in this dark black, you know, house and then photographed it from a drone from like, you know, 300 feet above. That is when I got interested in drones. And so, um, but I didn't own a drone. So I went on some like super geeky uh, Facebook group of drone operators and, uh, found some amazing uh, new friends. Next thing I know, I uh, found a cabin. We got a cabin donated from this place called Hidden Mountain. I slept 22 people, and I had a bunch of strangers sleeping in this cabin with me, with all who had drones, and so we had a big drone party. <laughs> and the next day, one of the guys that shows up just happened to have drive this massive Ford truck. So he shows up with this big truck. We needed a truck so we could carry this big mattress. And so I got the mattress donated, and next thing I know, we're all a bunch of strangers driving around Gatlinburg trying to find stories. And uh, I'll never forget the first time that the guy, again, I never flown a drone. He handed me my own iPad remote, and with the iPad, I, I had my shutter, my aperture, my ISO, my white balance. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I really am doing photography with an iPad through a drone. It just blew my mind. And then... um. So the first shot, we were shooting this musician who had built his own home, had this amazing, like, cool, like, uh, 
VW van that he traveled all over the country and that burned as well. And so we fly this drone up, you know, three or 400 feet over his property. And I'm looking at the drone, you know, live, the footage. And I take the first picture and it pops up on my screen. I literally just cry. And it's the first time I've ever, like, an image, has, my own image has made me cry in my entire career. Because it was just like to have that vision, to have that, like, I could see the shot in church and then to see it on the iPad. And sure enough, it was exactly what I what I envisioned, which was this, because that white mattress stuck out like a sore thumb. But then on the white mattress, you could see his body so clearly. And he was kind of laying in the fetal position. So like this place of, this idea of birth and rebirth and his destroyed home was just like this overwhelming uh, visual. So it was um, super, uh, what's the word? Um, fulfilling project like because we were freezing it was windy we were up in the mountains and it was like literally 10 degrees i mean it was miserable but uh drones were you know barely flying because it was so windy but uh we got it done you know i'm so intrigued and fascinated by the response of people like seriously what (laughs) when you approach them what are they thinking like what i just lost my house you want to do a what yeah. What's going on in their heads and how do you convince them like, no, this is a cool art piece. We really want to make it happen where they actually say, you know what? I've just lost my house, but I want to participate in this art project. Yeah. 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 There were a few people that, that, yeah, thought we were crazy and thought it was weird. In fact, there was one really wealthy woman who like wanted nothing to do with it. And then by the end of the project, she was hearing word of mouth and she was like, oh, I want to do it. You know, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, at that point, like they'd already lost their house. They're just having phone calls with insurance companies every day. And they're like, what else am I doing? Sure, I'll lay down on a mattress if this is going to help me share my story. And the cool thing is they all had uh, crowdfunding links already set up. So I was like, well, I'm going to share this on Instagram and my Facebook. I'll tell them how many followers I have. Not to brag, but to say this is how many people are going to be exposed right. to your story. And I'm going to post your crowdfunding link. And so... Um, and obviously if I'm using their link, there's no money going through me. This is literally going straight to you, to your account. So, um, yeah, and people are cool with it. And in fact, uh, that's what, that's when it's really fulfilling is, is that when they love it, when they feel, um, helped by it, that, you know, you're doing your part. In fact, uh, after the, after it was all said and done, I heard caught, caught wind of this, somebody, Asked somebody in Gatlinburg, like, how, how's it been since then? And somebody said, you know, it's been the coolest thing is that this guy came and did this project with drones and a mattress. And uh, and uh, she was like, that really helped a lot. And I was like, man, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. You've, you've mentioned in a lot of um, the things that we've talked about, you've really leveraged social media. Like, how have you been able to build? Like, what's your advice for people trying to, to build a social media on any platform? Yeah, I don't know. It really has become um, a tool. I mean, I've always been, I actually started uh, a couple of different things long before social media existed. Like I started a group called the 615 in Nashville. That was a community of like hundreds of web developers and designers, just big nerd group. But we'd email every day. We had like an email list and we just email each other. It was basically Twitter before Twitter. And so I've always had that mindset of like wanting to, to herd people together. Um, and, uh, and so I was on Twitter the month that came out, I was on Instagram, like the first month that came out, I've always been on, on, on that stuff. And so 
because I was on early, that's how I was able to, to build not a big flung, but a decent flung quickly. And so then I would just use that as my tool. Cause I don't, a lot of, you know, a lot of us can't afford massive mail or promos to mail out. And so social media has always been my natural way of marketing, getting the word out. And so, um, I always try to use it in ways that just make sense and that actually help, you know, um, and not think of it as a tool to inflate my ego or to brag about stuff. Like you really have to have humility and a sense of responsibility with your platform. Cause if you think about like, even if you have 2000 followers, like if there were 2000 followers sitting in a room with you, you wouldn't say a lot of the things you're saying on Facebook or Twitter. Cause you'd be like, Oh crap, they're looking at me. I can't just <laughs> go off on Donald Trump. You know, I better be careful. Actually, I probably still would, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so like, yeah, you just have to be really careful on and how you use it. And um, so I've always taken it very seriously as as a platform. You are an early adopter for most of those platforms. Do you think people today who aren't getting in on, on a social media platform at the beginning, can they still build a following that resonates and has meaning? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's a trick when there are already so many people out there who've led the way, who yeah. have captured the audience. How does somebody new capture that audience? With ideas. I mean, with, with creativity and ideas. I mean, there's you can absolutely still build a mass. In fact, I feel like I've even seen it happen in the last year or two. People going from zero to hundreds of thousands of followers. Just, I mean, our culture is always still looking for inventive people, creative people with good ideas and, um, you know, good ideas will always, will always have a place for sure. Rob, that means you can start an Instagram, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use this trip. Let's get there's you an Instagram. There's hope for me yet. The bear rug <laughs> photo can be your first. Place. Oh yeah. Get this. So oh, we're gosh. in uh, yesterday. <laughs> you had a, me a bear rug photo. We're in a, we're, <laughs> we're in a podcast with, uh, Lindsay Adler and, uh, we agreed in the podcast that she is going, we're going to commission her to create a six foot canvas of a, kind of a replica of the, the Burt Reynolds show mm -hmm. where he's naked on the rug. We're going to do that. And it's going to live above Lindsay's fireplace or the part two Will Ferrell version of that. Have you yeah, seen oh, that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've not seen that one. Oh, it's good. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. But my hip replacement scar has to be prominent in that picture. Or I'm yeah. doing it. There's not this, it. there's this brush in, in Photoshop. I'll get rid of that. Rug. <laughs> I don't, I want it prominent. <laughs> Oh, you want a prominent? Yeah, I want a prominent. Want oh, we can down. we can enhance it. Oh yeah, make it make it a gnarly scar. Yeah, with a like wood. with like leather stitching, you know, like yes. like I stitched you. <laughs> Franken hip. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so, crazy, Jeremy. What what advice do you have? What do you want to leave this podcast with? With it's daunting. Uh, Final thoughts. It's like Jerry Springer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, a good question. Can can people still donate or help with the Purpose Hotel? Is there is there a call to action still? Well, the Kickstarter's closed. I mean, they can um, they can you know check it out. We we actually the PurposeHotel.com right now points to the Kickstarter, which is a terrible idea. We got <laughs> we got to get our at least a basic get splash page up and get our mailing list back going. So right now there's like literally nothing. But hopefully about um this releases, we'll have a website back up there. So definitely check out the PurposeHotel.com. Um, I'm at Jeremy Cower on all social networks. I teach photography at cuniversity.com. 
also think what these guys are doing is an amazing resource. Uh, you guys have really done an amazing job. Like I'm, thank you. I'm an admirer for sure. The way y'all are going about it. Wow. And like my thing as a teacher, and I don't think I'm doing a good enough job yet. It's like, I, I want things to look and be even more legit. Like I just, I never want to like be this cheesy teacher photography guy. Like I want it to be super legit. And so every time I see all stuff, I'm like, that's legit. They're doing it. They're doing it right. You so. can't see it right now, but Rob and I are blushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like tomato red. Yeah, that's nice and to hear. The funny thing is I haven't actually even seen a class. I can just tell from your marketing and the trailers and who you're choosing to work with. I'm we'll like, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, these guys are, are doing it right. So well you know, done. Often we ask people where they think their career is going to go the next, you know, five, 10 years. Um, and I kind of want to ask you that, even though I don't think you can answer it, because your life has taken so many turns. I don't think you would have ever predicted things like the, you know, the Purpose Hotel mm -hmm. ten years ago. So, where do you think you're going to be in ten years? What do you think your life's going to look like? Yeah, I'd, I'll always be an artist. I mean, I definitely think I'll always be shooting. I'll always be creating. In fact, with the hotel, I don't want to be a CEO. I don't want to be the president. I just want to be, we're calling myself right now the CIO, which is ideas, uh, I stands for ideas and inspiration. Like I want to be the, the chief idea guy and inspiration overseeing the inspiration. So if our guests and our staff are always inspired, then a lot of other things take care of themselves. So I want to be sure that people are always inspired and that opens up a lot of potential and fun for me so like i'd love to be the lead artist on the walls mm -hmm. i'd love to be created like the gallenberg wildfire would be a perfect kind of thing to be on the walls of the hotel to have those stories about those people so i think i'll just transition into always brainstorming creative ways to help people like that's to me the intersection of creativity and helping others is where i'm interested because a lot of times helping is not creative, you know, like nonprofits and Red Cross, where they're, they're, they don't think as artists. But then a lot of times artists are so selfish that we just think for ourselves. So I'm like, okay, if you can think like an artist, but for others, that's a really interesting intersection where not a lot of people really explore. So I hope, I yeah, hope not, that's my... Not a lot of people live at that intersection, let alone stop there. Yeah. You know? So I hope that's that's where I live, yeah. It can, cool. can be a lot of different things, but it's going to be fun. That's awesome. that's very cool. That's well, a great answer. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And if you're one of the three people that aren't following Jeremy Coward, you got to do it because he does <laughs> he does cool things like say, hey, if you want to get your portrait taken this week, you can come into my studio, which we did. That was yeah. great. That was a, that was a fun experience. Rob, we, we dressed up Rob like a Mad King. The Sad King? Sad Mad King, yeah. Sad Mad King. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I can't wait for those photos. To <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you blush now. I honestly think out of all the people that have been like, you were the best. Of all the people I've shot, Ed, like, literally giving some something different each frame. Gary, like, yes, yes, yes. Gary yeah. goes all out. He, was, I mean, he, he never, it. never holds back. He, he goes killed all out. It. Did you have a favorite character of mine? Do you remember oh, him? man. There was, was there was there uh, was hijack white. I thought was hijack the best. white was good. Hijack white was there. The meat sweats was the meat sweats <laughs> was good. Hijack white was better. Yeah, hijack white was it. It was good because he was he's he's around. I felt his presence. He was somewhere in the area. <laughs> oh yeah, he was in the ether. Have you ever met him? Uh, I got photographed. I, I got asked to shoot him once. What for Rolling Stone? It was between me and another photographer, and I think we were like going to be shooting in Germany or something crazy. 
And I was like foaming at the mouth. I was so excited. And they ended up going to the other guy. Oh, oh. bummer. If you ever, all right, if you ever get the chance to do it, yeah, I will pay to come be your assistant. I'll do whatever you nice. want. BTS, I got to just be there. I, gotta I, do it. I did go to a show recently where um, it was at Third Man Records, his, his record label. All right. And it was late at night, and there weren't a lot of people there. And I tried to leave early, and I got lost in the building. So I ended up, like, in the bowels of Third Man Records in his office. Like, it was like I got lost in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Did you was, rearrange everything in the drawers? <laughs> I mean, it was the most <laughs> I would have stolen the stapler. <laughs> it was the most beautiful, non-Nashville, weird. What does Jack White have in his, in his office? Seriously, what's in there? It was like... I can't even Lava explain lamps. it. I, I yeah, Willy did, Wonka. I was actually just going click, click, like, click, click, like the ceilings were in, intricately designed, like the walls, the corners, like there was just design everywhere. It was like just collages of vinyl and just weird stuff everywhere. It was amazing. He, he just sent in his re tax return on vinyl. Did I saw that, that man. Yeah. Dude, it's so amazing. cool. I don't, know if, idea. I don't know if he still has it up, but um, we had an intern, Tomas, that lived with us for a while. And we took a trip there, and as he was flying back to Brazil, we wanted to do a, a going away present. So we all got in the booth and sang him like a goodbye, like, you know, just a commemoration. And it, you could record it on vinyl. So we gave them a, like a, a goodbye letter, and he got back to Brazil and listened to it. It was like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> 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 because we were just saying the most ridiculous things. That's awesome. But, yeah. Amazing. Well, Jeremy, I know you, you got a busy day ahead of you. Yeah. So Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, Thanks thank for you so much. By. Of course. Great talking with you. Hey, you too. To download this episode and all of the episodes, go to rggedupodcast.com and make sure to subscribe on all the platforms. Rob, can you name them all again? Sure. MySpace? MySpace? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Google Stitcher. Go Google Stitcher, iTunes, and Christian, SoundCloud. Christian SoundCloud. Tingle, right? <laughs> Christian Tingle. <laughs> J-Date. We're, we're, we're also on J-Date. <laughs> <laughs> we're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fun. Bye. Okay, the podcast is over. But before you go, I just wanted to let you know that I always take a penny from the penny tray at the gas station, but I never leave one. 